Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bucko Booth. My name is Benson Factor, and I'll be the host on the show this morning. Jared was supposed to join us, and he may still throughout the episode, but we're just going to ride solo today. So, um, interesting week in Pirates baseball to break down for you this morning. Obviously, last Saturday, the winter meeting started, uh, and throughout this week, we had the winter meetings. So moves that we have to break down a little bit are the Avon Nova trade to the White Sox for uh, the right-handed pitching prospects, the $500,000 in uh, international spending money, and obviously getting that money off the books, the signing of Jordan Miles, and then uh, obviously nothing happened in the Rule 5 draft, but we did pick up a piece in uh, the minor league version of the Rule 5 draft. <clears throat> on uh, Thursday, Thursday, yeah, that was the end of the winter meetings. But we do have to get to the mailbag this week. Uh, only taking two mailbag questions this week. In future reference, if you do want to ask mailbag questions, go to the Baseball Podcast Network Instagram page or Box Dugout, and you can ask your mailbag questions there. So let's get to the mailbag for this week. First question comes from William. It is, how competitive do you think the NL Central will be? It seems like everyone's making a move. And the NL Central last year was the only division to have four teams above 500. So I definitely expected to be that again, and as well as having the Reds be an improved team. Now, I don't, I don't think the Reds are going to be able to get above that 500 mark, but I do believe it's going to be one of the most competitive divisions in baseball, if not the most competitive division. And then the question is who wins that division. Obviously, my perspective is that the Pirates will be the NL Central champions in 2019. But any of those four teams, the Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals, Pirates, could very well win the division in 2019. And it, it will most likely be a battle to the end. It would not be surprising if there is another game 163 as we had in 2018 to the side of the NL Central. Next question is from Cards Network. What is the state of the Pirates rotation after Nova trade? Should they add someone? Now, just a note on the Nova trade itself. I loved it. I thought it was a great move. It gets that $10 million off the books, moves an asset before he becomes a free agent. We get an interesting right-handed prospect in Jordi Rosario, plus the $500,000 in international uh, spending money. And regarding the state of the rotation now, my personal preference is that they go out and they get Gio Gonzalez. We talked about this uh, last week on my so-called holiday wish list for the Pittsburgh Pirates, in which I believe they need to get Jose Iglesias and Gio Gonzalez. They go out, they get Gio Gonzalez as a veteran presence to the rotation with postseason experience, and you can plug him right in there. If not, we have some interesting uh, things to discuss regarding the rotation and what the Pirates may do with that fifth spot. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. And, you know, with Tuesday's trade of Yvonne Nova to the Chicago White Sox, the Pirates have four clear-cut rotation pieces in place in Jameson Tyone, Chris Archer, Trevor Williams, and Joe Musgrove. Assuming that all will be healthy when the first bit of chalk lands the field in 2019. Conventional baseball wisdom says that is one short of a standard rotation. But what if it wasn't? According to Neil Huntington and the Athletic Pirates beat writer Rob Beertemple, the Pirates could entertain the idea 
of having strictly bullpen pieces comprise their fifth and final piece in the rotation. An opener, if you will. First, you may be wondering what the heck an opener is. Good on you. Baseball with your swanky new terminology for uh, millennials. Unfortunately, it will not be a musical or a comedy performance preceding a baseball game. If you guessed the opposite of a closer, you'd be right. Using bullpen pitchers to start the game and ideally pitch a few innings before having a revolving door of pen arms finish a contest is the closest I could give you to a uh, Webster's definition, a true deviation of baseball tradition. The Rays went full steam ahead with this concept last year as Kevin Cash's squad went 44-34 and 34 in opener games. They also plan to utilize the same blueprint this year. The question begs, what could this look like for the Pirates? A key to this recipe is starting the game with one of your better relievers due to the fact that you are obviously going to see the team's best hitters towards the top of the lineup. Starting a game with a back-end, a long-relief pitcher is a derelict of duty because you would be playing catch-up from Jump Street. The notion that you would, could start Stephen Brault or recently signed journeyman Jordan Lyles, oh yeah, that happens uh, too, by the way, is not one that holds any particular merit. The Rays frequently opened the game last year with high-leverage players who threw gas with flamethrower Ryan Stanek at the forefront starting 29 games last season and topping out once at 103 miles per hour. A player of Stanek's caliber is a perfect choice to get hitters out of a rhythm early and allows a manager to compliment him in the following innings with a pitcher who blends speed and pitchers. Ideally for the Pirates, this would mean someone like Keone Kella or Kyle Crick starting the game, and then you could follow Stephen Brault or Nick Kingham based on matchups. Adding another significant bullpen piece like Adam Ottavino or Kelvin Herrera would allow the Pirates to still have a reliable back end of the pen to preserve a lead should they get one in the early going of an opener game. Ultimately, if you think you can have a bullpen game, the faith lies in the starting rotation. If they're unable to provide significant innings, this idea is bound to fail and you'll just be taxing your middle relievers. Is it feasible? I think so, but signing another stud relief pitcher and ensuring your four horses are healthy and capable of pitching deep in the games are absolutely vital to this rotation being opened for business. Now, the idea of using an opener has really only been used by the Tampa Bay Rays so far in baseball, right? And they went 44 and 34 last year uh, when Kevin Cash tried out the idea. Now, we discussed that the Pirates only needed one win a month to make the postseason in 2018. All we need is one more win a month in 2019 to be a playoff caliber baseball team. Could the opener solve that situation? Right now, if you look at the Pirates rotation, you obviously have the four guys that we outlined, Tyen, Williams, Archer, and Musgrove. But then what happens to that fifth spot? If you look for a standard uh, you know, rotation piece. You look for Nick Kingham, Stephen Brault, uh, maybe Clay Holmes, and then you can look to the minors, say maybe JT Brubaker, be stretching a little bit with Mitch Keller. But there are pieces there to fill a fifth spot. And if the Pirates don't go out and sign a Gio Gonzalez, as I'd like them to do, uh, also throw Jordan Lyles into the mix for that fifth starting spot. But again, if they don't go out and sign a Gio Gonzalez, 
then you have a void and opening in that fifth spot. Now, I believe Nick Kingham would be the front runner for that fifth spot if you don't have a signing of a guy such as Gio Gonzalez. And Nick Kingham had a horrendous first inning ERA last year. So that leads to the belief that you could easily have an opener. Now, I don't think the Pirates can go the opener route unless they sign an Adam Onovino or Kelvin Herrera because if you go fourth and you start Kyle Crick or Keone Kella, throw him in the first inning, that leaves a significant void in the back end. Let's say for kicks, they start Keone Kella. Then the back end looks like Vasquez in the ninth, Crick in the eighth, uh, Rodriguez in the seventh. Then your middle relief options, obviously we don't have Santana out for Tommy John surgery. The middle relief options looks a little bit like Nick Birdie maybe, and then you could throw Stephen Brault and Nick Kingham, Nick Kingham would start into that mix. So it starts looking very bleak if you don't get solid innings out of Kella and then you go to Crick, uh, King and Brault. If they don't get you to the seventh inning, then you're really stuck having to throw Nick Birdie in high leverage situations in this fifth or sixth inning before you get to Rodriguez, Crick, and Vasquez. And if they're not rested, if they can't go that night, it, it, it's hard to come up with an idea of how they could fail those nine innings. Again, all they have to do, go out and sign an Ottavino, go out and sign a Herrera, get another big high leverage inning guy at the back end of the bullpen, and that could solve that situation. Then you could easily go forth and start Keone Kella, throw him in and start Crick, throw him in and in, and then you would have four guys in the back of the bullpen to shut it down at the end of the game if they have a lead, which is sort of what the Pirates had last year uh, with them having Santana, Crick, Rodriguez and Vasquez, and then you threw Kella into that mix. So having that opener is a very realistic possibility. Again, it really just depends on what Neil Huntington wants to do. Does he want to go out and sign a fifth starter, such as a Gio Gonzalez, or does he want to roll with Nick Kingham, or does he want to go with an opener strategy, considering it worked very well for the Tampa Bay Rays in 2018, as they went 44-34 and using that strategy? Now, we do have some rumors that we do have to talk about, and that is regarding catcher Francisco Cervelli. And, you know, the rumors started coming in November that the Pirates could be looking to move catcher Francisco Cervelli this offseason. Cervelli, just like outfitter Corey Dickerson, is entering the final year of his deal with the Pirates. With the Pirates being known for moving guys with one year of control left the winter before that final season, one of those two or both could join the same list that includes Neil Walker and Andrew McCutcheon. There is a difference with Cervelli than there is with Dickerson. Dickerson has prospects behind him on the verge of joining the Pirates and the near future that could replace him. There isn't a prospect ready to take over the job that Cervelli does. They do have Elias Diaz, who played in 82 games last year, had at 285, 10 home runs, and 34 runs batted in. He also showed that he could handle the duties of catching for the Pirates and is under team control through 2022. Diaz could handle the majority of the catching days if called upon. After that, the Pirates will then turn to Jacob Stallings. Stallings didn't emerge as a great backup option for the Pirates in 2018. He had a 216 batting average with just five runs batted in. With those hitting numbers, he had a zero point, negative 0.10 war. Now, all of those happened in a very small sample size of 14 games. He could get better 
with more time at the major league level, and he's under team control through 2023. When you go deeper into the Pirates' catching depth, there really isn't anything that jumps off the page at you. If you look at their top 30 prospects, according to NLB Pipeline, they have one player at the catching position, and that is Dion Stafford, who's ranked 29th. Stafford was drafted in the fifth round in 2017 by the Pirates. His ETA, according to MLB Pipeline, would be 2021. His kind of report seems like he could make it for a serviceable backup at the major league level. The Pirates will need to be patient with him and give him time. Without highly ready prospect depth at catcher, the only other option the Pirates would be through free agency or trade. Both have worked for the Pirates in the recent past. Russell Martin is available for the Blue Jays with a great signing for them back in 2013 and had two excellent seasons in Pittsburgh before signing that huge contract in 2015 with Toronto. And that same offseason, the Pirates traded for Cervelli four really solid seasons for the Pirates. But the injuries that plugged him in New York have come back in Pittsburgh in three of those four seasons. In his first season with the Pirates, he caught 128 games. In the three seasons after, He's caught less than 100 games in each of those seasons. The offensive numbers for Cervelli are still there. He had the most home runs in RBIs for a season in his career in 2018. He also had a 2.90 war, which is second highest ever in his career. His highest was a 3.50 war in 2015 with the Pirates. All of those numbers and the lack of prospect depth indicate the Pirates should look to keep Cervelli for the 2019 season, but maybe look for Stallings and him to share the backup catching duty while they let Diaz take over the majority of the starts at that position. They could also play Cervelli's Josh Bell's backup at first base, which could lead to Bell playing right field as Polanco gets healthy. Even if the Pirates do keep Cervelli for the 2019 season, they need to address the prospect depth at that position soon because the duo of Diaz and Stallings may not get it done when you're trying to compete with the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals. Now, we've discussed the Savelli trade for many weeks now as the rumors have stretched all the way back to November as to whether he's going to be traded or not. Now, I've had mixed opinions on whether they should trade him. I originally thought they should because his value is high. The Pirates tend to do this. They tend to offload assets such as they did with the Von Nova before they become a free agent. Now, it made sense to move on Nova because we have guys behind that can fill in. It would, in a sense, make sense to move Corey Dickerson because you have guys such as Jason Martin, Brian Reynolds, even a Travis Swaggerty coming up behind him. But there really is nobody behind Diaz and Stallings until Stafford in 2021. That's why you have to keep Cervelli, because they're looking to win a division title in 2019 and potentially even a World Series. That's the Pirates' stated goal and what their realistic goal in 2019. And that can only really be done with Cervelli being on the roster. Now, here's my scenario that I think they should roll with to begin the 2019 season. I don't know if they're going to do this because they have been a little bit particular with Josh Bell, but here's what I think they should do. You start Diaz at catcher, you start Cervelli at first base, and you start Josh Bell in right field until Polanco gets healthy. Josh Bell came up as an outfielder, but then converted to first base as really there was no room in the outfield for him with McCutcheon, Marte, and Polanco holding those three spots for the foreseeable future. 
the Pirates went ahead, and they decided to move Josh Bell to first base, and it's worked out pretty well uh, for the Pirates in that move, as he's had two very successful seasons at uh, the first base position. I don't know if they'd consider moving him to right field for a couple months, maybe giving him some versatility, and then you could put Cervelli at first base. And this would also solve the problem that the Pirates have, that Jacob Stallings doesn't have any options left. And the Pirates pitchers love Stallings. I believe he could be a serviceable backup once Cervelli leaves in 2020. If we start Cervelli at first, Bell and Wright, Diaz catching, then you have to have the backup catcher. The backup catcher will be Jacob Stallings. That solves that problem. Now, I know the Pirates did go out there, and they did sign Lonnie Chisnall to presumably start in right field until Polanco is healthy. At that point, you could just have Chisnall as a fourth outfielder. Now, when Polanco becomes healthy, his timeline, again, is mid-April to mid-June for his return to uh, the action. You'd obviously put Polanco right back there in right field, move Bell back to first. I still believe Diaz, at this point, is the starting catcher for the Pirates, and then you move Cervelli to the backup spot. Now, then what happens with Stallings, right? I still think you can have him on the roster, then you can aggressively pinch hit Cervelli in situations in the game when you need him because you have Stallings as a backup. And then you could still have Cervelli as Josh Bell's backup when he needs days off. And then you could still have the revolving door, Bell in right field, Cervelli at first. It would all play out very nicely if the Pirates do decide to go this route. Now, do I think they'll let Josh Bell play right field? I'd say no. Ideally, they would, but realistically, they won't. They'll have Josh Bell be the first baseman and Chisinau in right field. And I believe Diaz, is, at this point, should be the opening day catcher with Cervelli behind him. And I do believe they should roster Stongs again so they can aggressively pinch hit Cervelli in situations where he needs to be aggressively pinch hit for. In big situations where you can't say, I'm saving my backup catcher for last on the bench, you have to go ahead <coughs> and pinch hit Cervelli in situations when you need him. And on the flip side of that, Cervelli starting, you need to pinch at Diaz in situations when you need him, right? So, you know, it's going to be a revolving door. It's going to be interesting, and it will play itself out eventually, but you can't trade him. Okay, yes, it would be nice for him to, for us to get something back, but it's not the standard trade that the Pirates have done in the past because they don't have anybody behind Stallings. What if Diaz goes down and you have Stallings and who? Again, the only the guys in the minor league system that we've mentioned, you've got Arden Paps, Christian Kelly, uh, John Borman, who has that one major league at bat in 2016. But who would fill in behind him? You'd have to look for a free agent waiver wire pickup, such as they did in 2000, I believe, it, yeah, it was 16, when at one point Eric Kratz and Eric Fryer were the two catchers. And Cervelli and Stewart went down. And you don't want to have a situation where that happens. You don't want to be forced to go into the waiver wire because we are competing with the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals for an NL Central championship and then a wild card spot too because the NL Central is stacked. The NL East only got better as well. The NL West is going to be competitive. There's a fight in the NL right now for their five playoff spots next year. And if the Pirates want to have one of those five spots, preferably a division title, they have to keep Cervelli. It's a no-brainer in my opinion. Talk a little bit about the shortstop position. 
So, Jordy Mercer's seven-year career with the Pittsburgh Pirates came to a close Wednesday after MLB Network's John Morosi reported Mercer agreed to a deal with the Detroit Tigers. John Hammond of FanCred later added Mercer's new deal is for one year, $5.25 million. Despite never producing like a star, Mercer became a fan favorite in the Steel City due to his consistent play on both sides of the ball and leadership in the locker room. Losing Mercer's production wouldn't normally be a big deal, but the Pirates are in a position where things are looking dire at shortstop. In 31 games last year, presumed starter Kevin Newman struck out 23 times in 95 plate appearances. That's a staggering 26%. You can argue it's a small sample size, and maybe he figures it out. After all, Newman did strike out just 50 times in 477 plate appearances for AAA Indianapolis before getting his call to the bigs. But he also wouldn't be the first player to never figure out big league pitchers. Other possible starter, Eric Gonzalez, has never played more than 81 games in a NLB season. And it's a career 273 average, 314 OBP, 397 slugging hitter in the minors. Neil Huntington has told Bill Brink of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that Gonzalez was a very talented blocked player during his tenure with the Cleveland Indians. But there's no way to be even remotely certain that he will offer the Pirates anything offensively. None of this inspires confidence for a team that will be in dire need of offense in 2019. Not that losing Mercer creates a major hole in the power department, but Newman and Gonzalez's negative 0.3 combined war last season certainly doesn't inspire a step forward. The Pirates don't have to stand pat here. They've trimmed payroll, most recently with the trade of Avon Nova to the Chicago White Sox, and could reallocate that money toward giving its bevy of strong arms some firepower to work with at the plate. That isn't saying the Pirates should splash cash on Manny Machado, but there are options that would conceivably fit their price range. Jed Lowry stands out as one after slashing for a 267 average, a 353 OBP and a 458 slugging for the Oakland Athletics last season to go with career highs and home runs with 23 and RBIs with 99. Lowry can play multiple spots in the infield, having played second, third last season and a shortstop in 2015. With Ben Ross of NBC Sports reporting that Oakland could be moving on from attempting to re-sign Lowry, the time is ripe for Pittsburgh to pounce on him as a cost-effective upgrade. The Pirates offense will need Starling Marte, Corey Dickerson and Josh Bell clicking on all cylinders to produce runs early in the season as Gregory Polanco works his way back from shoulder surgery. If any of those three struggle, it's hard to see the offense providing any type of insurance for the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching staff. Huntington and the Pirates front office made the necessary moves last season to bolster the pitching staff and bullpen by adding Chris Archer and Keone Kella. Neglecting to address the offense's razor-thin margin for error, especially until Polanco is healthy, is an unnecessary and worrisome risk for a team actively cutting payroll while the rest of the NL Central works to improve. And then Fires can go two routes here. Trading to Von Nova could be a move that leads to signing a Jed Lowry. Now, that would be perfectly fine. Or trading the Von Nova could just payroll slashing move. That could also pertain to a potential trade for Francisco Cervelli. Now, are the Pirates going to do what they've, te- they've tend 
to do in the past? Are they going to just go out, slash payroll, stay cost-effective, look to maybe lock up some players, or are they going to, you know, take away that $10 million and throw that $10 million to Jen Lowry? Again, the Pirates actually do have the money to sign Manny Machado. We've talked about this in the past. They do have the money to go out there and get him. Do I think they should? No. There's not necessary at all to throw that money at Manny Machado. He's going to want eight years minimum, I believe, and one not in a position to give him, you know, a $200 million contract as a small market team. We do have the money. It just, I believe, shouldn't happen. Because, again, you have guys we need to lock up. I still do want us to re-sign Corey Dickerson. We, Jameson Tyne, I believe, deserves an extension. Trevor Williams coming up. Joe Musgrove as well. That money needs to be reallocated to extending guys that need to be extended. Not flashing money on Manny Machado. Now, what do I believe we could sign Lowry for? Two years, $10 million with a club option for a third, maybe. A one-year club option for a second year, I believe that is a realistic option. And, you know, originally I did want us to bring back Jordy Mercer, and I honestly believe one year 5.25 isn't that bad of an option. But again, the Pirates told Mercer before he left for the offseason, that if he were to come back, he'd be easing Kevin Newman along, and Newman would be the starter at shortstop. And Jordy Mercer, at this point, is going to get an opportunity to start in Detroit, which he deserves to have at this point in his career. And obviously, now that the, the Tigers don't have, now they have Jordy Mercer, Jose Iglesias is on the market for the Pirates to pick up. Now, I said in the past, I want Iglesias, but I think you can go either way. You could go Iglesias or you could go Lowry, but the Pirates need to sign one of the two. Because if they don't sign one of the two, you, are, you have to bank on Marte, Dickerson, and Bell just being dominant for the first maybe half month, could be up to two and a half months. And there's a razor-thin margin for error for the Pirates' offense. Okay, we don't, we don't want to become a Mets team circa 2015-16, where they had no offense, but they had a stud pitching staff. We have a postseason caliber pitching staff. With the staff we have, we get into the playoffs, we could definitely win it. It's just about getting in. The offense has to improve in 2019. If it doesn't, we're going to be in trouble. Because we have, again, one of the most staff divisions of baseball, the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals. Now the Reds getting better at adding Tanner Roark to that rotation planning that maybe even out of Dallas Keuchel, it's going to be tough. This young Pittsburgh Pirates team is going to have to step up, and they're going to have to improve on the 82-79 and 79 season last year, and that was on the backs of the pitching staff. If they can get better under Eckstein and Cruz as the new hitting coaches, again, no more Branson coaching the hitters, no more Livesey. We now have Eckstein and Cruz. If they can improve under those two, if Bell can get back to form, if Dickerson can start hitting some more home runs because we need that. Yes, great that you had a 300 average, but we need power. Pirates 29th in home runs last year. That cannot happen again in 2019. If a 29th in power department can be an 82 and 79 team, one win a month away from making the postseason, we're right there. We're in a position, as I said, to win a World Series between now and 2023. We have a window, this, this window of 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. It's a five-year window that we need to capitalize. 
it would be nice to capitalize next year and then uh, we could look to set up nicely for, for the future. Again, nobody really in the media, they're, they're considering the Pirates season a fluke last season, but again, we all know that it wasn't because the pitching staff is a staple of any team. And if you have the foundation of the pitching staff, then you can build off of the offense and move forward from there. The Pirates do have potential to be an excellent team in 2019. And again, I believe win the division and go on to win a World Series. It's just a question of what Neil Huntington wants to do and what Nunny wants to do. Does he want to you know, save money, or does he want to go out and spend a little bit? You know, it would only cost what we just trade away from Nova to get a Lowry or a Glacier. Go out and get them. Maybe split up that money, go get Gonzalez, go get Lowry or Iglesias, and then we can look to compete in 2019. We still will compete without them. It's just the margin for error is going to be a lot slimmer without them than with them. And we'll see what Neil Huntington has to do. That's just about going to wrap us up on the show this morning. Thank you all for tuning in live archives, however you're doing it. We appreciate it. My name is Benson Sector. Make sure to give our host a follow on Instagram, myself at Bucks Dugout, and Jared who's going to join us this morning at Pirate Stock Strong. Make sure we are now 17 days from the launch of the Baseball Podcast Network. How many podcasts do we have left together? We have two, just two more solo Bucket Booth podcasts before the Baseball Podcast Network launches. So check out their website, baseballpodcastnet.com, Instagram at baseballpodcastnet, Twitter at baseballpodcast1, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-1, YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you all for tuning in. We will see you next Saturday. Hopefully, we now and then the Pirates make a move. But the winter means we're excited this week. Uh, Enjoy to break it down with you. We will see you again next Saturday, same time, same place. Until then, let's go, Bucks.